Just very quickly, I'll do a post on it tomorrow morning, and we'll put it onto Facebook. But um, one lady, her name is Albie, came to me at the beginning of the service when I was in Port Alfred last weekend, and she said, I just want to tell you that the last time you and Bev were here, you laid hands on me, and I am completely healed, and it's changed my whole life. And um, I said, just remind me, and she reminded me that she had problems with her esophagus and her lungs. And um, somebody took a photograph of Bev and I praying for her, and now that's her wallpaper page on the front of her phone. And, uh, but a woman of faith, and it was just so amazing. I was so encouraged by her faith, but um, God completely healed her in the meeting right there and then. And uh, she said every time she felt symptoms come, you know, because the devil's a liar, she showed the devil the page on her phone and said, there, that's where I was healed, there. <laughs> she showed it, said, see there, said symptoms go there. And she stood fast in her healing. There was another lady, a farmer's wife, who as a young girl had fallen off a horse and broke her back. And um, when I started to lay hands on people and anoint them with oil, she fell under the power, and she was laying on the carpet. She got up afterwards, and she said, while I was laying there, the Lord was straightening out my back. And she said, for years, I was not able to walk properly or do things. And she said, the effects of the broken back was healed. So come on, isn't God good? And uh, so God is doing really, really great things. You know, one of the things that we need to do is to keep our excitement and our fervor and our love for Jesus. Amen? We need to be excited about things. If somebody tells me, you know, I prayed and the Lord took away my headache, I get excited about it. Because that's still a miracle. Otherwise, you need Panado or Grandpa. Isn't that right? But it's still a miracle. And we need to stay excited about the things of God. And uh, this morning, I want to just very quickly talk about prepare for a visitation. We need to prepare, and we need to prepare ourselves. So we've just come through Pentecost, and I reminded you that the day of Pentecost was the New Testament fulfillment of what happened at the Tower of Babel, also at Mount Sinai. And uh, it's the fulfillment of all the water and the rain scriptures in the Old Testament. Behold, I do a new thing. Forget the former thing. And all of that was talking about the New Testament and the era of the Holy Spirit. Even in Revelation 21, John records Jesus saying, Behold, I make all things new. And the all things new is the New Testament. And so sometime, I think was it last year, I spoke about the significance of the 40 days leading up from Passover to Pentecost. I spoke about the significance of the 40 days, the 10 days, and together the 50 days. And we're living in exciting times because we're living in the times of the Spirit. Amen? So we need to be people of the Spirit. Peter said it in uh, Acts 2.38. He turned to them, to the people, saying, what shall we do to be saved? He said, repent, every one of you, be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ for the remission of sins that you may receive or that he will give you, that he will give you the gift of the Holy Spirit, Acts 2.38. And I spoke about it the other week when I was here. You shall receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. Not a bit of the Holy Spirit, not a piece of the Holy Spirit, but you receive the gift of the third person of the Trinity, which makes you an exceptionally powerful person. It makes you a supernatural being. You're not an ordinary person. You're not like the person in the world. You're not just a slightly better version of your old self. You're a new creature in Christ. You're not just slightly better or slightly more powerful than a Satanist. You are unlimitedly more powerful than a Satanist. Is that okay? Satanists can't come near us. We gave them power in our minds. Satanists are terrified of coming to our type of churches. 
Because they know the power that is in us is greater than the power that is in them. Amen. You receive the gift of the third person of the Trinity dwelling personally inside of you. That makes you supernatural. That makes you a spiritual being. Isn't that right? And so you become powerful. So that's what we receive. Now you undertake three baptisms. The Bible teaches us that when you give your life to Jesus, you are baptized by the Spirit into the body of Christ. Okay? Into Jesus and into the body of Christ. When you come through the waters of baptism, you are baptized by a believer into water, symbolizing what just happened by the Spirit. But then Jesus baptizes you with the Holy Spirit, and the evidence is that you start speaking in a supernatural language, in other tongues. And so it's extremely powerful. Peter, on the day of Pentecost, when he stood up and preached, there were a lot of firsts on the day of Pentecost. The first time that believers received the Spirit, first time that the gospel was presented and preached fully, and a lot of firsts. So, first time that they spoke in other tongues. But in Acts 2, 32 to 33, he says this, This Jesus hath God raised up, whereof we are all witnesses. Therefore, being by the right hand of God exalted, and having received of the Father the promise of the Holy Ghost, because he was explaining it to the crowds, he says this, He hath shed forth this, which you now see and hear. Amen? So the people were watching the disciples falling around drunk, speaking in other tongues, hearing in their languages, them praising God and declaring the greatness of God. And Peter explains that this was Jesus receiving from the Father the promised Holy Spirit. And he poured the Spirit out. The Spirit being shed forth, everybody say shed forth, was what they were now seeing and hearing. In other words, when the Holy Spirit is active and busy, you can see Him and you can hear Him. Amen. Everybody say amen. 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 And that's what we need to prepare for. We need to get excited. Three weeks ago, some people got healed. Some people got instantly healed. And that's seeing the Holy Spirit at work. Amen. Is that okay? Yeah. When people go, whoa, in the middle of the praise and worship, when people fall, when people cry, when people laugh, we're seeing and hearing the work, the ministry of the Holy Spirit. Yeah. Amen. So it tells me that the Holy Spirit wants to be active in our midst. Woo. Amen. Amen. But I like that shed forth. Amen. That shed forth. He shed forth this means to gush out greedily. Don't you like it? In other words, there's an implication that he comes to people who are greedily hungry for him. So he gushes forth greedily to satisfy the greediness inside of people Believers who are saying, I want so much more of the Holy Spirit. Was that okay? I was with Buna Simon, Father Simon, in that big cave church in Egypt, which they dug out with their own hands. And um, God told them to build that church, 10,000-seater church, and to use the poor people of the garbage dump, the garbage city people, to give them a sense of pride in the accomplishment of what they can do. So they used limited Limited, limited mechanization. And what they cleverly did, because it's on a sheer cliff face, that in the month of Ramadan, 6 o'clock in the morning or 6 o'clock at the night, whenever they fired the cannon, the Muslims fired the cannon, 
to signal either the beginning or the end of Ramadan, they would sit down here and de detonate the dynamite. So the government wouldn't know that they were building. So when the cannon fired, they started thinking it was an echo. And they took out millions of tons of rocks and they built this amphitheater. So you stand down at the bottom in this cave church and this is amphitheater, 10,000 people. And he has this priest with his robes. Blind eyes open, deaf ears open, cripples get out of wheelchairs. A priest. You see and hear the work of the Holy Spirit. I had the opportunity, the privilege of sitting with him many hours. And on my last visit, he said, John, John, next time you come to Egypt, we go to the farm, pray three days. And then, I, you know, I didn't go, which I'm always sorry for. But, you know, maybe I'll go again. They are asking me to go. And uh, to spend time with Father Simon. And uh, that's the 10,000. Nearby is a 3,000-seater. One day was praying because they would meet in a 150-seater cave, which was there. One day was praying against the rock face, and he was saying, Lord, we need a bigger place to meet. And the Lord said to him, dig through here. And when they dug through, it opened out into a cavern, and they put seats in it in amphitheater, and it seats 3,000 people. <laughs> so, so, come on, everybody say, God's clever. And uh, then the whole story of it was carved at the back. And... Uh, that mountain where the cave church is, it's a piece of another mountain. And in the sort of middle 900s AD, that mountain moved because a man of God told it to move. Yeah. And it moved two kilometers, the Mukatim mountain. Yeah. And the whole story is carved out in the back of the church. Somewhere I've got photos of it. One day I should get them out and show you. And um, he was sitting on the stage. It's all carved out of rock, carved stage. And then the sort of different levels are all carved out of the rock. And then at the back is the whole story of the moving of the mountain, all carved into rock by a, a priest from Romania and an artist. And he carved the whole story of the, in the back of the mountain. Anyway, and one day Father Simon was sitting there on the stage. And, um, you know, he liked to, you know, when we got together, he'd say, mm, Jean, Jean. Tell me some miracles, John. I said, oh, well, Father Simon, you know, this, this. And he'd sit there with his eyes closed. Mm, 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 thank you, Jesus. Mm, mm, mm. Then I'd say, Abuna, tell me some miracles. And he'd tell me miracles. And I'm really like, wow. <laughs> but the one day he was sitting there. And, um, and what am I preaching on? We need a visitation. Okay. He was sitting there. And there were 200 Muslim imams sitting around him. 200. And they were debating scriptures with him. Scriptures versus Quran. Scriptures versus Quran. And eventually, after some hours of debating scriptures, because he knows their Quran well, he just stood up from his seat and he said, Jesus, I need more of your Holy Spirit. And the Holy Spirit fell on the 200 imams, flat out on the floor, Demons manifesting. He called his other priests, Father Daniel and others, and they spent the rest of the day casting out demons and leading 200 Muslim imams to Jesus. Come on. Let's. So when I'm saying we need a visitation, I mean we need 
the Holy Spirit to be manifest, to be seen, and to be heard in our midst. Is that okay? And so I've been around enough and have had enough experience with revivals to know that it's something that we desperately need. Is that okay? And so, you know, very often we say we want to move of God. But very often, and sadly so, that, and um, if you think I'm preaching to you this morning, just put a pen through it and say uh, he's preaching to himself. Okay. And maybe live stream. I always include live stream. But very often we, we say we want to move of God, but we're not prepared to do what is required for a move of God. Okay, then any time you can say amen because I'm preaching to myself this morning. Say amen. Preach it to yourself, brother. Preach it to yourself, brother. Preach it, preach it. So I'm just going to include you this morning in that. Do you know that Acts chapter 2, the Holy Spirit fell? Everybody agreed. That was around AD 30. And then about five years after Pentecost, when persecution broke out, mainly because of Saul, who became Paul, the Bible says the disciples scattered, not the apostles. They stayed in Jerusalem. One of the disciples that left was, his name is mentioned in Acts chapter 6, one of the deacons who was chosen to serve at the tables. He fled to Samaria, and when he got to the city, started to preach the gospel, tell the whole city heard, and the Bible says demons were coming out with shrieks. The lame and the crippled started to walk, and he turned the entire city around through his preaching. So much so that Simon, the sorcerer, saw it and was so impressed. Now, he was known as the great power or the great power of God. And the power of the Spirit on Philip just absolutely smashed and broke all his witchcraft and his whole hold of the city. Don't tell me that Satan owns the mind dumps in Benoni. Don't tell me that Ferenichen is Satan's headquarters. Don't tell me it takes one believer full of the Holy Ghost to break every demonic power. Don't tell me about ley lines, ley lines, and ley lines, and you know we need to go and fast and pray and break ley lines and all of these kind of things. I love what Prophet Kerbis did. This people came to him and they did all this ley line strategy. You know, it's a distraction of the devil. It's pathetic. And I mean, it was big at one stage. And they were saying, oh, and the ley lines, and the, the witch, you know, and they communicate, and they travel on those lines. And they went right up to the front door of Prophet Kerbis' church, and they say, there's an intersection of ley lines right here, right here. So they called Prophet Kerbis. No, we've done this whole study. There's ley lines that, yeah. And he said, show me exactly where, exactly where. So they said, exactly here. So he goes, they're broken. <laughs> Come on, one believer. Come on, one believer. He was a deacon, an usher, an usher in the church in Samaria, an usher. He wasn't the head honcho. He wasn't the head apostle prophet. He went preaching the gospel, and then a whole city turns to Jesus. Demons coming out. When the apostles here, they say, well, let's go and have a look. When they get there, well, they go, well, will you all, you all need the Holy Ghost, man. And then they start laying hands on the people, and then the city gets baptized in the Holy Spirit. 
And then when Simon sees the Spirit is given by the laying on of hands, he tried to buy it. That's where the sin of simony comes from. Is that okay? Come on, look at your hands. And say the Spirit is given. Say it after me, nice and loud. These hands, when I lay them on people, the Spirit will be given. Amen? So the Holy Spirit was given through the laying on of the hands. I mean, it's, it's amazing. Five years after that, which is now 10 years after Pentecost, the Holy Spirit is still moving. 10 years. So now we're getting around 80, 40, somewhere around there. And um, um, Peter's, you know, I think he's in Joppa, I think he is. He goes up onto the roof and he lays down. It's lunchtime and so lunch is being cooked. And he falls into a trance that happens often over here when we smell the pulled pork and stuff like that. He fell into a trance and God showed him not to call the Gentiles unclean any longer. Meanwhile, meanwhile, three days earlier, Cornelius, a Roman centurion, at three in the afternoon, an angel appears to him. Anyway, long story short, Peter's description of that day, the Holy Spirit fell on them the same as he fell on us. I'm almost sure that in that centurion's house, there came a sound from heaven like a mighty rushing wind. I'm almost sure that tongues of fire appeared and separated and fell on each one of them because this was the Gentile Pentecost. Ten years later. Ten years later. Ten years later. Something about the apostles and the disciples is it didn't fizzle out with them. It didn't, wasn't like, whoopee-doo, whoopee-doo, yay, yay, one service and that's it. I'm talking 10 years later, they're still going for it. Acts chapter 19, Paul on his third missionary journey passes through Ephesus and he meets 12 brothers. Hey, brothers, hey, woo, introduce themselves. I'm Paul, formerly Saul of Tarsus. No, we've heard about you. I'm making this up. It doesn't say that they're in Acts 19. Okay, but there were 12. And then he starts asking them, are you believers? Yes. Have you received the Spirit since you believed? Um, we haven't even heard of the Holy Spirit. So he said, well, then what baptism did you receive? John's baptism. Well, that was a, a baptism of repentance until Jesus. He then baptizes them in the name of Jesus Christ, lays hands on them, and they all receive the Holy Spirit, speaking in tongues and prophesying. Come on, say the Holy Spirit's still moving. Acts chapter 19. And Acts is the only book that doesn't end with an amen. Because it's an ongoing, the implication is that it needs to continue. Acts 3, 19 to 21. Peter says that you will continue to receive times of refreshing until the restoration of all things spoken of by the law and the prophets. And then, you know, God will send times of refreshing. So Christ is being held back for a time but in the meantime, times of refreshing. It doesn't mean refreshing. 20 years later, refreshing. No, it means refreshing, 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 to stay refreshed in the Lord Jesus Christ. Amen? And so refreshing is a, something that God wants. And it mentions it in the book of Acts over and over and over and over again. And they were all filled, and they were all filled, and they were all filled. You know the one time Paul and Barnabas were preaching 
in, I think it was in Pisidian Antioch, and they were rejected. And I think it's in Acts chapter 13, the last verse. And uh, they were rejected. And what they did was they shook the dust of their feet. And then the Bible says, and they were filled with joy and the Holy Spirit. Isn't that amazing? So what I'm learning from this, brothers and sisters, as I'm preaching to myself, um, and just including you, is that when I go through hard times, I have a choice. I can either be, you know, experience a visitation, or I can um, experience some whinging and whining. What they did, all the soulishness, all the stuff of those people, they shook it off, and they went, woohoo, and probably did what Jesus said, rejoice that you've been counted worthy of my name. They probably did something like that. And the Bible says, and they were filled with joy and the Holy Ghost. Amen. I want to just touch on a couple of things very quickly. Are you all ready to listen? I just want to give you a couple of things. That is for me. You know that it's incredible that as I travel around, and uh, unfortunately, even in ACF, I discover that Christians want what they want. And often what they want is not what the Word wants. And yet, they want revival, they want a visitation, and they want to move. So I'm speaking to myself now, remember. So don't anybody feel guilty. You can just say, hey, no, on my behalf, okay? And so, you know, they want what they want. It struck me a few weeks ago, someone phoned me, desperate, and they said, please, will you pray? And I suddenly realized everybody wants the benefits of a praying person in their life. But they don't want to pray. There are so many Christians that want a man or a woman of God close by in their lives who they can pick the phone up and say, please pray, please, it's desperate or whatever, but they don't want to pay the price to be that man or woman of God. Okay, so I'm preaching to myself and I'm repenting of all of this and saying I've got to get with it, you know. And it's amazing to me, people want the benefits of revival. Christians, I mean, you go anywhere in South Africa, anywhere in the world, and say, who wants revival? And there's loud amens and hands go up. There'll be even tears. But if you investigate the lives of a lot of those people, they're living everything but the visitation that they're crying for. And we need to prepare for a visitation. I need to prepare. I just casually said to the Lord, I just casually said it in conversation. Actually, I more said it to Bev than to the Lord. I said, I think I need to start getting up earlier to pray, maybe like four o'clock in the morning. You'll never guess what's happened the last week. I wake up at four o'clock. I have a body clock that says five o'clock, and five o'clock is early enough in the morning. You know what I'm saying? Especially in winter. But I just kind of said it, you know, and God was eavesdropping. He should have been minding his own business. I was talking to Bev. Now I wake up at 4 o'clock. I started laughing. He said to Bev yesterday morning, I'm just going to have to get up because I'm wide awake and I lay in bed praying anyway. I'm just going to have to get up. Guess what time I woke up this morning? Exactly. But you know, too many Christians are not prepared to pay the price. I started reading of the great men and women of God and their great prayer lives, how they prayed. And I saw that they would get up three o'clock. One of them said this, and it would be someone like John Wesley. 
said, God forbid, because those days, people used to wake up when the sparrows woke up, but they also used to go to bed when the sparrows went to bed. But anyway, and he said, God forbid, it convicted him one day when he woke up, but he could hear the footsteps of people outside on the cobble roads going to work. And he said, and here am I, a man of God, and I'm sleeping and they're already up, and they've been up for an hour, and they're going to work, and I'm still sleeping. And he made a commitment to God, and he said, I will be up an hour before any of my people are awake, and I will be praying for them. Wow. One of the leading revivalists. Now, we love those stories, yes. but we're not prepared. I, I'm talking to myself. When I say we, you know who I'm talking about. We are not prepared to pay the price for a move of God. You know, we want to stay in bed. It's far more comfortable. It's far more wonderful under the covers than in a cold lounge just going, God, I want you to move. We want the benefits, but we don't want the responsibilities. If we read all of the men of God and women of God in the Bible, they were righteous and devout. The word devout means devoted, means disciplined means they had the biblical disciplines in place. It meant they read the Word, studied the Word. It meant they prayed, not for three minutes, but for three hours. They just didn't grab, you know, a quick prayer as they were slicking their breakfast and running to the car to go to work. They prayed. They prayed. They were people of prayer. If I track back my own life, and uh, great things started to happen from 1993... And it's when the Lord said to me, I want you to do a full 40-day fast. No food, drink water. And then revival broke out. Initially, all I got was hungry. But then after that, God started to move, and it opened up all of the overseas ministry. Then I was preaching in Armenia. I was preaching in Egypt. In Armenia, we had national revival. That went into Iraq, Iran, Egypt, America. It's easy to say, I want God to move, but how deep is that longing or that desire? So remember, I'm preaching to myself. But I like this, Job chapter 10, verse 12. Okay, this is family chat. Okay, this is family talk. I love what Job says. Thou hast granted me life and favor, and thy visitation hath preserved my spirit. One of the reasons why we need visitation, because it preserves our spirit. You know, Paul talks about it in Thessalonians. He said, you know, may God sanctify. Another word is preserve. God sanctify your spirit, your soul, soul, and your body until the day of Jesus Christ. Paul said it in Romans chapter 1 verse 9. He said, the God whom I serve with my spirit in preaching the gospel. The problem is, very often, as Christians, even with tears running down our faces, saying, I want a visitation, we are soul-dominant rather than spirit-dominant Christians. Paul talks about them as being fleshly, carnal, or worldly. We need our souls. It's our personalities. Is that Okay. But our souls need to be educated according to Hebrews 5.14, 
where we're able to be taught to be spiritually orientated. It's amazing how the soul part of us, Paul calls it also the flesh, the flesh part of us is so dominant, it dominates the spirit. And that struggle you can read about in Galatians chapter 4, Paul talks about the fact that the flesh always persecutes the spirit. In Psalm 119, and I think it's verse 135, I think it is, but he says, my soul, my soul tends towards the dust, but your word revives my soul. And so if we're not people of the word and people of prayer, and listen to this, and you're here, but I'm preaching to myself, I was not here for two weeks, is if we're not people that go to church, we can't cry for visitation and revival. The spiritual disciplines are there. Is that okay? For us. So a soul-dominant people, soul-dominant Christians, if I allow, so I'm talking to myself, I've just got to keep reminding myself, if I allow my soul to dominate my spirit, because in my spirit, I really do want God. But if I allow the soul to get in the way, then I become what Paul talks about, those having a form of godliness but denying the power of it. So let me just remind you, let me just state that verse again. They have a form of godliness but deny the power thereof. Listen to me, church. Listen to me. Listen. Now listen very carefully. I'm drumming it into John. There is a power in godliness. There is a power in godliness. That's why many Christians and even secular people seek out a man or a woman of God. Because they are godly. In other words, they will get the right counsel, even though it hurts. They will get the truth, even though it's not what they want to hear. And there is a power in a godly life. So here it is. There is no visitation where there's compromise. No visitation where there's compromise. God does not move amongst the dead. He moves amongst the revived. So we can't be soul dominant. Too many Christians are praying my will in God's name instead of God's will in God's name. They live the way they want to, conduct their relationships the way they want to, do whatever they want to, speak how they want to, do business how they want to, claim to be Christians, and they'll be the ones in church raising their hands, Jesus, move. Send revival. Now, I'm preaching to myself, preaching to myself, okay? John, you must stop doing these things, okay? And so we can't have it. You can't have your, your cake and eat it. Now, I understand that God is compassionate. God is merciful. And sometimes God sweeps into churches. But He does, and He changes people's lives, changes their morality, changes their ethic. Amen? Come on, we've got to line up with God. If we want a visitation, line up with God. Amen? Don't have a form of godliness denying its power. There's a power in godliness. Be godly. Paul said it. He said physical exercise profits a little, but godliness, you know, has got eternal benefits as well as temporal benefits. Everybody say amen, John. You need to preach this to yourself. Amen? So we can't compromise. We can't compromise. 
soul dominant, where we listen to the soul, you know, the pleasures of this world. I love what James tells us in James chapter 1, verses 22 to 26, and he talks about the fact that, you know, some people are hearers of the word only and not doers. So here it is. Listen to what he says. He says they delude themselves. They delude themselves. Come on, church. We can't be delusional. We can't be delusional. In other words, we will bend down in church. We'll kneel down. The tears will run down our faces in worship. And we'll say, God, move. But we're living a different lifestyle. We delude ourselves. Church, am I saying the right things to John? And so we need, to, we need to change those things. Amen. I like what 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 9 says. It's a beautiful passage. However, as it is written, no eye has seen, no ear has heard, what no human mind has conceived, the things that God has prepared for those that love Him. These are the things God has revealed to us by His Spirit. So listen. If we live soulishly, if we live compromised lives, spiritual things are spiritually discerned. If we live soul-dominant, fleshly-dominating our lives, we cannot conceive or perceive the things that God has prepared for us. And I'm telling you is that God wants to move, but He needs us to cooperate with no compromise. Is that okay? It's amazing to me. I've discovered it. And you know, I've been doing this for 35, 36 years now. And it's amazing to me how many Christians, they love God and they say they love God. And how many years? And then I discover when it's convenient, they will break the word. Do something other than what the word says. Compromise the word. And John's got to stop doing that. (laughs) <laughs> you can't, you can't. John can't expect revival if he's compromising the word. Is that right? The power of godliness, the power of doing right, the power of no compromise. What happened, you know, the days when it was law in South Africa, no shops opened on a Sunday because Sunday was holy. And maybe that's a little bit overly religious, whatever, but yet there were principles. You know, there was a time, even in South Africa, that if you gave your tithe to church, you got a discount on your tax. Yes, same as in Zims. Even in England today, because there's still a remnant of godliness, you get what they call covenant returns. So you pay your tithes, the treasurer keeps the receipt. That's how it was with me even when I started tithing. And at the end of the year, with your IRP 5, from the treasurer of the church, you got a form to say, this is how much you gave in tithes for the year, and you got a rebate from the government for tithing into church. There was a time when it was like that in South Africa as well. Where is that godliness, you know, where Christians would stand for something and take the slack? Do you know that there's a young, like 13-year-old Christian girl in America right now, in America, right now, in America, wearing a COVID mask, 
and she had written on the mask, Jesus loves me, and she was ordered by the principal of school to take that mask off immediately. But you can have Black Lives Matter, you can have, you know, Satan loves you, you can have whatever you want on your mask, but the moment you put Jesus loves me, take it off or get out of school. So let's take it away from that, let's come back to us. Let's come back where... Are we prepared to compromise, but then we will with teary eyes say, God, please will you send revival? We can't have it. And we need to be in that place. So compromise, compromise, soul dominant, number two. Number three, desire. I like it. Proverbs 13, verse 12. Hope deferred makes the heart sick, but when desire cometh, it is a tree of life. Your desire for God will get you to get up at four in the morning. Now, I'm not saying that's necessarily your time. Your time might be 10 o'clock at night. But wherever it is in your timetable. Bev and I used to take when we were still dating before we got married, and then it was early into marriage, we would take our lunch hours. I worked not far from her, so I would race down, and then she would walk out. She worked for the receiver of revenue. And then she would jump in the car, and we would put Reynard Bonker on, sit there and just listen to Reynard Bonker preaching. Oh, fruit, gosh, I'll be saved. You know, and that kind of crying in the car, eating us on Jesus, move, you know, and all of this kind of thing. And then she would go back, and then I would race back to my office. But we'd buy out the time. Come on, you know, where's the hunger? Where's the desperation? Where is that thing inside of you that says, I'm, I'm just going to take time. I'll come down to the church. I'll pray. Well, I'll get up early and pray. I'll stick a heater on. I'll do something. I'll wrap extra blankets around me. And I'm going to start praying for this country. I'm going to start praying for ACF. I'm going to start praying for the mandate on this church to come to pass. Amen. John, you need to wake up. Okay? When desire comes, listen to Isaiah 26 verse 9. My soul yearns for you in the night. In the morning, my spirit longs for you. When your judgments come upon the earth, the people of the world learn righteousness. But my soul yearns for you in the night. When last did you lay in bed with pangs of hunger for God? Laying there, weeping, saying, God, if you don't move, if you don't come, I have no purpose in life. Many times, many times, many times. That's my thing. I say, God, if there's not going to be revival, if there's not going to be move, you can take me home. That's not home because we can come back here and he has home. But anyway, but you know, whatever. But you know, you know what I'm saying? I don't have a death wish. Yeah. I've got a revival wish. Yeah. I want God to come. I want him to move. When last did we wake up in the morning? You know, our spirit's just craving God, craving God more than you crave your next meal. More than you crave a pay rise, more than you crave a promotion, more than you crave anything in life that you crave God. These are the preparations for revival. That hunger will cause you to fast 40 days. It will cause you to lose totally your appetite for food. People will think you're weird. But that's okay. That hunger drives you. That desire holds on to you, and you won't let go until you get it. They say that you know, some of the highest drives in the world is, is survival, and that's why you know, your body craves your, the food and things like so much. Thank you to those who regularly fast and pray. But I'm talking about, I'm talking about me. Okay? This is what I want. 
And it doesn't come. David knew it. Psalm 63. He said, early will I seek thee. My soul thirsteth for thee. My flesh longeth for thee. Like in a dry and thirsty land where there's no water. Verse 8. My soul followeth hard after thee. Where God, I've, just, I've got to have God. I've got to have God. You've got to move. God, you've got to intervene. God, you have to do something. God, we want to see people saved. God, we want miracles. God, you, I, you've just got to do it. When you're fasting and praying 40 days, I want to tell you, it's that hunger, that desire for God, more than discipline that takes you through not eating for 40 days. Where it's God, you've got to move. You have to move. God, will you move? God, will you move? God, will you save people? God, will you heal people? God, will you touch lives? God, will you turn around lives? But if we're in the place of a soul dominant, you're not going to fast and pray. And the message of grace came around, and it was great, but it gave all of us who are soul dominant a really good excuse not to do it anymore. Well, now it's grace. We don't have to do this. And millions of Christians miss the whole purpose of grace. Grace doesn't mean to say that we can be ungodly. Grace doesn't mean to say we can compromise the word. Grace doesn't mean to say we don't have to pray. Grace doesn't mean to say we don't have to come to church. Grace doesn't mean to say we don't have to read our Bibles. Because of grace, we do it more. Is that okay? Because of grace, because of grace, I'm more godly. There's no time to talk about faith and love and truth and all of this kind of thing, but I just want to just mention something here. Luke 11.33. Luke 11.33, one of the things that I've begun to realize more and more as I've reflected and as I've been preparing and doing this series on a visitation, this is the fourth message on visitation. But it's half a message because, because time, the worship was what God wanted this morning. But the more I've studied it and the more I've looked and the more I've realized how one believer can be so unlimited. If, if, if. So Luke eleven thirty three, No man, when he hath lighted a candle, putteth it in a secret place. Now remember that Jesus said, you are the light of the world. Can you, everybody say it after me? Say, I am the light of the world. I am the light of the world. And now we all go, amen, when Jesus says, I'm the light of the world. Yes, Jesus, amen. Then he turns around in the same breath and says, now you're the light of the world. Amen. Because <laughs> we don't believe it because of a lot of things we've taught, but also because of a thing of, you know, condemnation. But sometimes that condemnation is deserved. You can't say there is now no condemnation for us who are in Christ Jesus if you're not living the right life. Yeah. Because then the condemnation comes from yourself. The Holy Spirit is convincing you that it's wrong, not convicting you, convincing you. But you can't go, amen, yes, Jesus, no condemnation for me. A brother phoned me from overseas, and he said, this is happening in my church as a result of that to leave. He said, my pastor preaches to the series on no condemnation. He says, the Bible tells us there's no condemnation in Christ. And he says, so what you must do is you must ignore the condemnation for three, four, five days, a week, two, two months, up to two months. He says, it'll go away. 
Instead of saying, why are you feeling condemned? Repent and change. So what he was doing was encouraging a seared conscience where you don't hear the voice of the Spirit speaking on that subject anymore. Because he's such a gentleman, if you just keep telling him to shut up, shut up, shut up and ignore it, he'll stop speaking on that subject. And then you're stuck. And so, you know, no man, when he hath lighted a candle, putteth it in a secret place, neither under a bushel, but on a candlestick that they which come in may see the light. That word bushel there is a measurement, a dry measurement in the Bible of about eight gallons, 40 liters. So they would put, for example, peas or grain or flour in it and a unit of measurement. So what Jesus is saying is that you don't light a candle to fill the whole room with light and then take this thing and you stick it over to hide the light. Now often we've talked about, you know, the law. The law will limit you and all this kind of thing. But what about your compromise? What about soul dominance? You know, we always giving in to the flesh. I mean, doesn't that affect your light? That affects our light. Isn't that right? So John is now saying he's going to live in a way that his light is shining. Can I have an amen? amen? And so I don't want us to be a church that lifts its hands and sings and weeps one thing but lives another. Because we can't expect visitation from God if that's the case. Now, He will come. He will come, but you may be left out. He will come, but He might come to you with a different approach. Maybe there will be some deep conviction first. I would rather be on the side of, Lord, I want a move of God, and this is what I'm going to do. And I would rather be pressing in so when it comes, when God's, and He really is, that when there's visitation, I'm right in the center of what He wants to do through me to others in reaching South Africa and the world for Christ. Amen? Amen. Amen? And so, so this is a little bit of family talk today, you know, where in front of you I'm confessing and asking you to forgive me. And so we need to get to that place. I mean, we need to get to a place of preparing for visitation. And so one of the things that we've got to realize is we are unlimited. But what am I doing? Forget the law. Forget others' expectations. I think we've dealt with that ad nauseum in this church. Forget, you know, the fact that people have put you down and don't take you seriously and you were hurt as a child and you were rejected in a marriage or something like that. Just put all of those things aside. What am I doing that dims the light of my candle? What am I doing that short circuits the effectiveness that God wants in my life? How do I live and walk and act? So, in the next couple of weeks, in the next few weeks, so everybody's forgiving John. Amen. So we set you free. We pardon you. All your sin and unrighteousness. No condemnation now. Amen. Now you can have revival, Pastor John. Well, what we're going to do, starting from next week, I'm going to ask you this week. How many of you saw the post on the bulk WhatsApp? How many of you saw the, the, on the prayer bulk WhatsApp group? Yeah. That prophecy that a man of God gave me when an angel was sitting with him and dictated the prophecy concerning me and ACF. How many of you saw that? Did you read? It's already happening. Yeah, it's already happening. 
what I'll do, we'll print it out for you and staple it and we'll give it to you. Then everyone's got that prophetic word. Amen. It's amongst many prophetic words of what God wants to do. So if you haven't got it, just pray anyway. But this week, I want you to be praying over that prophetic word for every part of it to come to Amen. fruition. Is that all right? So every, every part. You can divide that prayer up into sections. If you want, those watching via live stream, if I hear amens, we'll post it on Facebook. And then you can hear it for those. You can read it then. And I want us to pray. I really want us to pray. And we've seen it, you know, some just touches of it, moves of it. In the Port Alfred Church, you know, I share what I share here. And they, they sit there just glued. People get off the chairs. They're kneeling on the floor, laying on the floor. And because of their hunger, because they haven't heard these things. Are you with me, church? We need to get to a place of complete revival that when people walk in, they're touched with the power of God and their lives are transformed. But hey, church, you know, I've got to get with it. No compromise. You know, devout, devoted, you know, in the word, in prayer, in fasting. So what we're going to do from the following week, Monday, we're going to go into a few weeks of fasting and prayer. I stopped the Saturday morning prayer meeting because of the cold weather. So at your convenience now, in your home, if some of you want to be on that winter prayer list, just write down your name and your cell phone number right at the back over there, and then we'll include you in the WhatsApp group praying. And then we're going to go into a, a sort of a four-week strategy of fasting and praying, and I will give you things every day to, to pray. Is that okay? Yeah. Once in ACF, and I'm closing with this, I did a nine-week prayer strategy. And we started the entire church 40 days of fasting and prayer. Some prayed every Wednesday, some every Tuesday, every, some every Monday and Friday. Some fasted and prayed two weeks. I did 40 days of fasting and prayer. And then at the end of it, we prayed certain things for a period of nine weeks. And I want us to have a prayer strategy because we're starting to feel and sense already things that are happening. But I want us to experience much more of what God wants to do. Is that okay? Amen. Awesome. Did you get something? Amen. Did God speak to you while I was preaching to myself? Yes. And maybe we just need to get to a place, and I know some of you are. I know some of you are. But even for myself, I just felt the Lord speaking to me. But whatever it is, somewhere, wherever, you know, somehow, let's just respond to God. Say, God, I really do want you to move. I want you to move in our nation. I want you to move in our church. I want you to move in ACF greater than ever before. Come on, we need to see greater miracles than the miracles we've seen. Is that all right? But I want to see greater miracles. I'm grateful for a lady with her esophagus and her lungs restored and she's living a normal life. I'm grateful for the fact that somebody with lungs are affected by COVID is instantly healed. I'm grateful for someone who falls and this, you know, God straightens their back out after years of injury. I'm grateful for that. But it's not enough. It's not enough. I want to see people saved, people restored, people revived, people coming back. I want such an atmosphere in here that when people walk in the door, you know, their demons run out the door. <laughs> You know, where when they walk in the door, the sickness goes like, I can't hang around here and leaves. Amen. Come on, we've got to have that. But that takes something from us. It takes something from me. 
Is that okay? So come on, let's just respond, Lord Jesus. Thank you. All right, I want you just to respond. Whatever, wherever God spoke to you through me preaching to myself, how are you going to respond? How are you going to respond? We can't cry crocodile tears and not be doing what we need to be doing. We can't. We delude ourselves. So, Father, we just want to thank you. Thank you in the name of Jesus. Father, thank you. Thank you, Lord. Father, we want to respond to your word this morning. We want to come to you and, Father, just say, speak wherever. Lord, you might have an agenda for us that's different to one I'm feeling now, but just come and speak to me. Lord, come and show me. Come and help me. Thank you, Father. If God has spoken to you about your bad temper for a long time, sort out your bad temper. Ask Him to help you. Father, we want to thank you. We just respond right now this morning in the mighty name of Jesus. In the mighty name of Jesus. We want to move. We want to move. Greedy, yes. greedy, greedy, yes. greedy, Amen. Amen. greedy for your move. Yes, Lord. Pour forth greedily. Yeah. Oh God, as a church, as individuals, as a country, a lot of things are upside down. Yeah. yeah. And these things require your move. Yes, Father. These things require your visitation. Yes, yes, Lord. Genuinely your visitation. Yes, Lord. Lord, we want a flame, not just a flickering, yeah. but to be wholly consumed yes. and be moved yes. by you. Yes, amen, Lord. Father, amen. this message is a message in season and in time. Yeah. It is a relevant message, not only for ACF, but as a church. Yeah. Yeah. Lord, let this word go out, Lord, throughout the church via live stream, Lord. Let people pick it up on YouTube. Because, Lord, this is a word in season. Yeah. We are hungry. We are thirsty for the move of God. Amen. Amen. We desire. We desire. Yeah. We need you, Lord. Yes. Lord, start waking us up yeah. in the middle of the night at yeah. 4 o'clock. Yeah. Yeah. At that time that the Holy Spirit wants to wake us up, Lord. Yeah. According to your agenda. According to your agenda, Lord. Yeah. Yeah. Lord, even as an agenda for prayer and fasting is placed, yeah. help us, O oh God. Yeah. Help to suppress our fleshly appetites yeah. for the things of God. Amen. Amen. Beyond, Lord, the physical, beyond yes. the material, yes, we want the move of God. Yes, we need the move of God. Yes, we Jesus. desire yeah. the move of God. Amen. Amen. Father, begin to, to speak to us, Lord, even yeah. as we sleep, Lord. Yeah. Lord, help us to be uncomfortable in a way until, Lord, we see God yeah. in our lives. Amen. Because that lack of comfort in our sleep will push us, will drive us to seek you, God. Yeah. That we may experience. Yes. Lord, there is a sense in which we need to sacrifice yeah, in order for us to see you yeah. move in our yeah. lives. We need a move Amen. of God Amen. in Jesus' name. Father, we just ask that we become more sensitive to your spirit, that we, our ears are open yeah. to hear what you would say to us. Yeah. And Father God, with the, the troubles of the day and the things of the world, 
just kind of bring us down, Lord, will that light just rise up again? Just help us, Lord, in every situation, in every family situation. Let our light shine forth in those areas and bring your peace, your love, and your self-control into our family. We ask this, Lord, in your name. Holy Spirit, you are welcome. Welcome. To do what you want to welcome do. Welcome in this church. Amen. Welcome in this church. Now, while you're standing, I dismiss you with God's blessing. And I declare we will have revival, move of the Spirit, visitation. God will visit you. And you have ears to hear what the Spirit of God is saying. You have the ability to respond to what God is saying because His Word has got its, the power in it for its own fulfillment. In the name of Jesus.